Our reading this morning is going to come from the book of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to read uh, here in just a moment. Uh, sometimes I'm always amazed or even sometimes humored by children, and they're always just going to ask why. You know, if somebody were to come up here and open this door, uh, not only the fact that the door was open, but the question would be, why is the door open? You know, somebody comes in here this morning, the lights are on. The fact is, the lights are on, but why are they on? Well, they're so we can see. We're going to see some things this morning, I, I hope that God will allow us to, to read in a minute, is that some things that Christ became. That's our title this morning, is that Christ became. But the question is not just what all did he become, but why did he do it? Why? What's the whole purpose? What's the reason behind that? I want to read to you, if I can, in John chapter 1, in the 14th verse. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is the things that He became for us. He became flesh. He was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Notice what He says, is that, we beheld his glory when he took on the, the uh, manifestation of the flesh. Now, the glory of the Lord had been seen before, but never in the likeness by which we did in his physical presence. Notice what he said. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This morning, I want you to think about all the things that he became. Folks, he became flesh. That's, that's something we learned a long time ago in and, and, and our, our, our early days of our life growing up is that Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary. Now, when I say that He became something, we do not read anywhere in the Scripture that Mary said that I want to be a virgin and bring forth a child. That's not what happened. We see that the Lord looked down and God looked upon Mary and He began to reveal unto her that she, as a virgin, was going to bring forth a child. But let me ask you something. Do you believe that Jesus left something worse and came down to something better? No, that's not what happened. We believe that he left the glories of heaven and he came down to this earth. And But the question is, if, he, if Christ became flesh, why did he do that? Why did God not just stay up in heaven and say, you know what, I see a sinful people and they need to be saved? You see, the word redeem and the word redemption means to go to be amongst and to pull out. You see today, that's what Jesus is doing in the lives of people is he is pulling them out of the sinfulness they're in. And the reason is, is that he knows what it's like. You know, sometimes we are notorious for saying, well, they just don't get it or they don't understand or they don't feel what I feel. There's not a thing that you and I go through that Jesus himself does not understand. So when we say this morning that he became flesh and we ask ourselves why because folks the Bible tells us that he got thirsty just like you and I get thirsty. He got hungry just like you and I got hungry. In other words there were physical needs in his life just like there are physical needs in our life. He understood those things. And we see here that it says that the way he became flesh. Uh, and notice what he goes on to say there. He says and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I thank God this morning that uh, sure enough that his flesh, uh, even though a lot of people think it wasn't possible for him to come down to this earth, he did. And it not, it's not because he made himself a better person or he came to a better place. He come down to make you a better person and for you to have a better place, which is what is going to come. 
So we see here he says, and the word became flesh. I want you to know something this morning that the scriptures are very plain. That Jesus, when we say he became flesh, he did it voluntarily and willingly. Why? Why would somebody come down to this earth, go through the pain and, and, and the torture by which he went through, and yet still be willing? If he was God, we know that Jesus was God in the flesh. If he was God, he knew why he was coming. And not only did he know how he was coming, he knew the means by which he was going to leave. He knew he would be denied and rejected. He knew he would be taken to the courtyards and beaten nearly to a point that he was going to die. He knew that he was going to be taken to a cross and nailed there and not just die a, a quick death as we might say, but to die a painful death, folks. God knew exactly how this was going to happen, but yet he still became flesh. I don't know about you, but I sit here so often. I say, Lord, why would you take on flesh, experience those things? And it's because it's necessary. It was important and it was a part of God's plan for him to become flesh. You know, this morning, I thank God that no matter what's going on in our lives, he knows all about it. He knows what pain is. He knows what temptation is. He knows all of these things. And we see here in John chapter 1, it says, and he became flesh. And I believe that when he did, I believe he took on the human race. And I don't believe the human race, well, in one sense, the human race had to make him to suffer and die. But I believe he came to change human race. You know what? If you're here this morning and you've never been changed, I believe that that's why Jesus took on flesh. Because he knew that you needed to be changed. Have you been changed this morning? And I'm not talking about an outward change that happens. I'm talking about an inward change inside of you. I thank God today that he became flesh. As we read right here, that he became flesh. Uh, why? Because he was going from the utmost highs down to this earth so that we might be able uh, to experience and for him to know what we experience and what we go through. For in the book of 2 Corinthians, let me read you a verse if I may and follow along with me. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let me skip on down to about the ninth verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For we know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, yet though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He became flesh. He became poor. And notice what he said. That ye through his poverty might be rich. Maybe we should say amen and go home right now and let every one of us ponder that. You think about what heaven is. Even the little children sometimes will tell you about heaven. It's a place of perfection. It's a place where God is. It's a place where the streets are pure gold. It's a place where there is no more sickness. There is no heartaches. All these things dwelt in heaven. So when we say that Jesus left heaven and he came down to a virgin to bring on the form of a flesh, why would he leave all of those things to come down to here? For the Bible says that when we are saved by the grace of God, we become joint heirs with Christ. 
You see, folks, I believe that God owns everything. I believe everything belongs to Him. You and I get to enjoy that. The health that you've got right now, God gave you that. The family you have right now, God gave you that. Our jobs, our, our, our everything that we have was given to us by God. And you see, when He talks about in heaven, that He, that he, he left all of the goodness there, He come down to here so that we could become a saved people and we can enjoy those things. For notice what He said. For how, how troublesome it is, it says, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That just means that Christ emptied himself out so that you might be filled up with his goodness. Folks, if you've been filled with the goodness of God, if you can stand up this morning and say, I am blessed. Is anybody here this morning besides me want to say that I'm blessed? Folks, I am blessed. God has given me a, a, a companion. God has given me a job. God has given me a, a, a mother and a father uh, to raise me the way that I were, was raised. I, I, I have all these blessings and it goes on and on. I have people like you in my life. I have all these things in my life. I am blessed. But you see, the only reason I'm filled up with his blessings is because he emptied out of himself. And you see, I thank God God this day, what he became, he became poor. And notice what it says here. It says, yet for your sake, he became poor. You know what? That means he emptied himself out, but it also means he became a beggar. You mean to tell me that God, the God of all the creation, takes only human flesh and he has to come down here and become a beggar? That doesn't make sense, does it? Why would God in a flesh in the form of Jesus Christ become a beggar? Now, what about the third part of the Trinity? You got God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. Do you think the Holy Spirit is a beggar today? Absolutely. Jesus himself said, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. He said, and I will give you rest. To there's some people... I've learned this in my life to some people. If you give them an invitation to something they want to do, they're going to jump in your car and they're going to be there in an instant. But if it's something they don't want to do, then it becomes a little harder. You see, Satan makes it where you do not want to be saved. It's your flesh. It's these excuses. And God is drawing and he is begging you and me today that we might follow after him. And that's why he says, yet for your sakes, he became how is this? That we talked about how that he was born and there in John chapter 1 he took on flesh. How could the Messiah, born of a virgin, how could he be born in a, as we portray it, in a manger or a cave or in a stable? Folks, he was born in a place that was fit for animals. How could a man with such uh, beauty and splendor about him for the purpose by which he was coming, why was he born in such a place? You see, Jesus rebuked not just riches in this life, but your dependency upon riches in this life. What he was telling is, is that his kingdom is not of this world. He said, there's something far better awaiting you than anything you can have here in this life. Folks, for every one of us that's been saved, we ought to amen and be thankful for that. That Jesus reminds us that all the things that we can have in this world, all the materialistic things that are ours that we can reach to, that none of these compare to what he has for us. And he became, as we read that there, he became poor. He was born in a manger. He was born in poverty, but 
But the reason is, he was not going to dwell on this earth forever. He was planning on, and not planning on, but he had a plan. He was going to live, he was going to die, and he was going back to heaven. And you know what? We would be much better off today to realize the same. We're born, we're going to live, we're going to die, but where are we going to spend eternity? That's a deeper question this morning. He became flesh for us. We see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that he became uh, to a point that he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. You know, I remember a song that, that, that sometimes you, you hear from time to time. It says, uh, shake hands with a poor boy that owns everything. You know what, folks? I might not have a whole lot here in this life, but I know this. I've got Jesus in my life. No matter what goes on around us, people can say all they want to say. They can act however they want to act. But you know what? They're not taking away my riches. They're not taking away my joy because it's given to me by Him. This morning, do you believe that Jesus became flesh? Do you believe that Jesus became poor? But notice what he said here in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, you know what? All the things that Jesus had done, what if he had become disobedient anywhere? You know, second uh, chapter of the book of Philippians. And let me skip on down to about the eighth verse. And being found in fashion as a man. In other words, he appeared as a man. He looked just like you and I looked. He had two eyes, two ears. He looked just like you and I. He had been through all this. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. A king came down to this earth. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He chose to die willingly. He chose deliberately. The Bible says he could have called ten thousands of angels to take him down off that cross. But the question is, if he became obedient, I'm going to ask you the three-letter word again. Why did Jesus do that? You see, I believe in the miracles of Jesus. I believe that Jesus lived a good life. I believe that when he came down here, I believe he helped the poor out. I believe he helped people that were blind to be able to see. I believe that people had medical conditions. Jesus came to do that. But we must remember this. Then all of those things that Jesus was doing while he was here was not to save us. It was to prove that he indeed was the Son of God. People doubted. They said there's no way that a Messiah could be born in a cave. There's no way that if God were going to send a Savior that he would be born in this capacity that he was born in. But you know what? For 33 and a third years, he had to prove that he was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. But you see, his life is not what saves us. It's his death. You see today, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And I thank God today that not only did he take on flesh and did he became poor, but I'm glad that he was obedient. He didn't just come down here and say, let's see if I can make people's lives better. And I want to tell you something. I believe that if you make the lame to walk, that person's life is better. I believe if you gave a poor man food, I believe that you made that person better. If you gave a thirsty person a whale and showed them a whale, I believe their life is better. But you know what, folks? Jesus didn't come to make our life better. He came to make our eternal life different and much better. You see, the question is, I'm not asking you about your life here. I'm asking about your eternal life. I'm asking about that. For notice what he said, that Christ became. And notice what he said right here. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He came down to this earth. He became a servant. He lived his life and he died a death obedient unto the very 
plan of God. And you know what? He did all of these things willingly. So why? Why did he do that? For you know, sometimes we'll sing a song and how true it is that when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Folks, today, being God, when he came down to this earth, he knew about every one of us already. He knew that. I believe that being Christ, and I believe when he came down here, that he became poor because he knew there was going to be a day that Scott was going to be in church and he was going to be empty and he needed something in his life. And that's when I got saved and become a rich man. He knew those things. And I believe that he became obedient, not because he was changing his eternal status. For folks, he came from heaven. He was going back to heaven. But he came down to this earth to be obedient so that we could be able to experience a place called heaven. That's why he came down here. And that's what he's talking about there in Philippians in that second chapter is that he became obedient uh, unto death, even the death of the cross. His final gift of, I guess you would say, what he gave for us here in this life was his obedience that he was going to die. Could he have... Provided some other way. Yes, God could have done whatever he so desired to do. But the thing about it this morning is, is that God chose uh, to be able to reach man, a fallen man, through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful this morning that God saw fit uh, to be obedient. And you know what? He took on the very sting of death for you and for me. You see, that sting of death only happens one time for us. He became that very sting of death for us. For we read over in the book of 2 Corinthians in the 5th chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and notice what it says down in the 21st verse. For he hath made him. What did he become? He hath made him to become sin. But remember what I said. When you ask why, not just the fact that the door is open, but why is the door open? Not just the fact that the lights are on, but why are the lights on? Why did he make these things? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He said, you mean to tell me that there are people that sin and don't even know they sin? I love it when I see children in church. These children, as they're growing up from the littlest and they start growing up to talk and they get older, they don't realize that they were born and conceived sinners. Matter of fact, when we start looking at the youngest ones here this morning, we call them just cute and innocent. But the truth is, folks, there's a sinful nature that was given to them the moment they were conceived. There is a sinful nature about us. Even when we didn't even know it, yet he said here, he made of him sin, he made... To be sin for us who knew no sin. We did not even know it. These children here this morning, they may not even know yet that Jesus came for them. But aren't you glad today that He took on sin for them? That He came and took on sin for you and I. For there was a day in our life where we were once that young. Now some of us, that might have been a long time ago. For some of us, maybe not as long. But the fact is, there was a time when we too were young and little. And we did not know that. But yet, notice what He said. For He hath made Him to be sin for us. Notice what he's saying here. He was both uh, uh, the, the, the offering and he was both the offer, I guess you might even say. He was willing to do all of these things for you and for me. For there in the book of Matthew chapter 17. Let me turn back and read just a minute. Matthew chapter 17 and the 24th verse. Talking about he was both in all of these for one. And when they were come to Capernaum, they received tribute money, came to Peter and said, Doth your master pay tribute? So they're talking about this temple tax 
If you were going to enjoy the temple or go to the temple, you had to pay a tax. Jesus was what the temple was all about. He should not have had to pay a tax. Jesus knew no sin, but the Bible says yet he died for sin. Why was he willing to pay for something? Not because he owed it, but it's because you owed it. He became flesh. He became sin. Let's read the rest of this in Matthew in the 20, 17th chapter, 25th verse. And he said, yes. And he was come to the house. Jesus prevented him saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or strangers? Peter said, Of him. Peter said unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding. In other words, he said, We're going to set them free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, Go thou to the sea, cast a single hook. Now I want you to remember, Jesus is about to pay temple tax. He was trying to tell them that it should not be required. But they said, nevertheless, we're going to pay what needs to be paid. He said, I want, I'm going to pay it for me and I'm going to pay it for you. He said, you go cast one hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. Now here's where it gets interesting. You can throw your hook out in the water and there's a whole lot of sea, fish in the sea. But he said there's only one out of all the fish that's going to pay the price. There's a whole lot of human beings that's roamed this earth. Throughout the history of time, there's a whole lot of human beings that have roamed this earth. But there's only one today that had the price for you and for me. And that's Jesus. For notice what he said. Take up the fish that first cometh up and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. He said, now if we're going to have to pay this due. He said, you're going to find some money in this fish mouth. He said, read the last part of that Matthew 20, 17th chapter in the 27th verse. He says, and take it and give unto them for me and thee. Folks, he was sufficient for all of mankind. He was sufficient. That's what he's talking about there uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he became sin. Why? Why did he pay the tax for you and for me? Why did he pay our debt when he did not deserve that? But yet he was willing. When we say he became, he became sin for us. And folks, when you get saved, you know what, you know what happens when you get saved? He becomes the very author of your experience. You know what an author is? They're the ones that, that created it. They're the ones that, that, that planned it out. For Hebrews chapter 5, and notice what he says in the ninth verse. And being made perfect. Notice what we're saying about all the things he's being made. And being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. Boy, that's going to get tricky with us this morning. You see, God has a story just for you. There's some people today, I love to hear their testimonies because they talk about a time when they were raised in church and maybe they, they pushed God off. Or maybe even there's that person that says, well, well, preacher, I was never raised in church and I, I wasn't exposed to that. And I remember going to church with a friend or down the road in, in the neighborhood or, and all of a sudden God begins to work in them. God has a story just for you. Some people's stories are amazing. We see how God's brought them through the fire. We see how God's brought people through some very deep valleys in their time. And everybody has a story. 
But the thing about it is, this story was created and authored by God, and He has something for you. But the question is, are you going to obey Him and let your story be told? You may sit there this morning and say, well, preacher, I don't want to do anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to just sit still. And you know what? You're robbing God and you're robbing yourself of the story God has for you. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. My story sometime when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I got so tired of, of, of this conviction that was in my heart. I wanted to get people away from me and I wanted to get this off my chest. So you know what I did? I remember going up in front of the church and I said, you know what? And I started telling them some kind of experience of being saved. But you know what I did? I had heard all these people testify that when they were lost, they felt downtrodden and somebody saw trees clamping and somebody else said that they, that they they, they just kept piecing all these things together. So you know what I did? I went up in front of the church and I told the church a testimony. It wasn't my testimony, but it was like what I would call patchwork. Man, I took this person here and this person here and this person here and I just kind of strung it all together and I made my own experience with the Lord. But you know what? That was, that was the author of my story. But my story is I joined the church. I deceived myself, you might even say. And for, I don't know, about seven or eight more years I went along and God began to deal with me. And when I made my way in that altar that night, I got saved folks. God dealt with me as a church member. I got back in here in an altar. There was a Sunday school room back over here and I came in and I made my way in an altar and I began to pray. And you know what? God saved my soul and He called me to preach not long after that. That's my story. I have the author and the only reason I can tell you my story from my author is I had to be obedient. If I would have still been sitting in that Sunday school room I would have left lost. Now the Lord made gave me another chance but my story is God dealt with me and I had an experience with Him. Let me ask you this. Do you have a story to tell this morning? And is it because of how bad God's been or how good God's been? Folks, I love to hear the redeeming stories that God has in people's lives. I'm not talking about just where He saves their soul, but it's other things that He's done since then. And it all happens because, as He said there, that all of them that obey Him. Well, preacher, it just don't seem right. Some of these people's stories just seem richer and deeper and, and, and just a whole lot more to them. I was just simply saying, you know what? We all have a story. We all have that author that tells us these things and that we might, and as he said, that he might give the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. God wants you to obey him this morning. God wants you to listen to him. God wants you to, to, to follow after him. You may say, well preacher, I've got lunch after church today. Well preacher, we're going somewhere else after church. We have all these plans, but you know what? God's plans should supersede all of our plans. If God is asking you to do something, are you going to be obedient? Or do you just want to say, preacher, let's get to the end of the sermon. Let's sing a song. We'll dismiss and then we'll visit and then we're going to head back out the doors. You know what? Being obedient doesn't mean that you're going to try to delay. It means you're going to be obedient. If God wants you to do that, you've got to be obedient. As the old song says, you've got to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You must trust Him. You must obey Him. Are you going to listen to the Lord today? Or are you going to say, Lord, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, or are you going to let the, the author of salvation give you what you stand in need of? But this morning, I want to turn back to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Some of my favorite scripture come from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We see here that Jesus became the first fruits of them that slept. Notice what he said in 1 Corinthians 15th chapter in the 20th verse. Jesus came, he took on flesh, he became poor, he became obedient, he died a death. But now is Christ risen from the dead and became. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
He became poor for us. And now we're seeing here that He became the first fruits of them that slept. After we've been released, He said, I've set a pattern for you. You know what I love about the first fruits of them that slept? It's not the last. You see, I believe others were that had died and I believe they resurrected. The Bible teaches us about Jairus' daughter. She was resurrected again. Lazarus, we hear the story. Lazarus was dead, what, four days? Laid in a tomb. As a matter of fact, they said his body was, was starting to decompose. They said, Lord, he said, you're too late. You know what? Lazarus was raised from the dead. But the difference in Lazarus and Jairus' daughter is they resurrected only to die again another day. Jesus became the first fruits of them that slept. What that means is, folks, He became the first one to rise from the dead, never to have to taste death again. Our glory in that this morning is in the fact of the first fruits means is that this is a sample of others that's going to come. They would go out in the fields and they say we're going to make a sacrifice, an offering unto God, a, a, a fruit offering or a grain offering. They would go out to the fields and they would gather the best they had and they brought it before God. God's approval. I want to tell you something this morning. I believe that God approved of the death of Jesus Christ. I believe it's already approved. It's already got His seal upon it. God has approved the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But I love is, is that when they go out in the fields, they would pick a small sample, the best they had. They would bring it before God. Even though Jesus is the very best that humanity has to offer, there's still some more like that. You can pick the very best of corn you got and bring it. And you know what? There's still more corn just like it. It's just this is the best. You know what I'm glad today? The, the kinds are the same. I'm glad today that even though I may not be Jesus, I still have the blood of Jesus in my life. I still am an perfect being but I've got the blood of Jesus I thank God this morning he was the first fruits of them that slept and notice what it said he became he became that he became something that you and I get to experience that he become the first fruits of them that slept I'm glad this morning that God gave me something that's going to last for me uh, that I'm going to I'm going to resurrect and I'm never going to die again folks when my soul was resurrected when I got saved it's never going to die again you may be here and you may hear one day that I have left this world I want you to know something my body may 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 succumb unto death but my soul is going to live on forever and ever folks Jesus became the first fruits of them that slept and you know what else he became and I'm going to hush it just a minute but in the book of Acts I want to turn back and read for, for just a moment, if I may. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, he's going to become, and he has become, I should even say, the head of the cornerstone. The head of the corner there in Acts, chapter 4, and in verse 11. This is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become... The head of the corner. In other words, out of everything that built upon a house, this stone was the strongest and it was the most important and everything was built upon that. You see, March the 17th, I was a sinner when I, before I got saved on March the 18th. March the 17th, I was a sinner and I had plans in my life. But you see, March the 18th, when God saved my soul, then all of a sudden my life was not more built around what I wanted on the 17th, but my life had to be built around what He gave me on the 18th. 
You want to know how soon my life changed for me after I got saved? I got saved that night and I was sitting there and I just, I don't remember what all I prayed, but I do remember saying, Lord, I don't care what I have to do. Just please save my soul. I got on the porch that night and God began to tell me about a desire and to tell me to be to teach and tell others about his son, Jesus. That's what it, it started right then and there. And it escalated really quick. And I realized God had called me to preach and I knew that there was no doubt in that. But you see, what happened is, is that my life had to revolve around that one person in my life. You know, a lot of people want to use a stone as a as, as something you look upon. You know, I, I marvel sometimes you go into these places and you see all this equipment that's there for display. And even though it's there for display, I hope it's, it's a sales room, not a display room. Because a lot of this equipment was not meant to be looked upon. It was meant to be used. A lot of people think Jesus is a figure that we just look at and we admire and we gaze upon. Folks, he is meant to be put to use and that is to be the very foundation of our life. I thank God today that he became the cornerstone of my life. Of all that he became, he became flesh, he became poor, he became all of these things. But that night, at New Crossroads Church, I left that Sunday school room and I made my way down into an altar. And I got right here, and I don't know how long I prayed, but I got right here in the corner of their altar where it was at. I got right there and all of a sudden God gave me his son Jesus. And that became the foundation of my life. Now, have there been times that we want to kind of want to build something off of that? Yes, it is. But you know what? God reminds me that my life was centered about what God gave me that night. Folks, my life is all about Him. My life is all about what He would have me to do. I'm here this morning because what He would have us to do. What are you here for this morning? Why are we here? He became, Christ became all of these things. But again, I ask you the ever important question. Why? Why did He do that? doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Lord, you, you gave up a whole lot to come down to this earth to give me a whole lot. doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I'm thankful this morning I can stand with all the redeemed throughout the ages and say thank you God for all of your blessings on me. For when he emptied out, he gave those blessings to me. And it's not that God became less of a person. It made me a better of a person in my life. Folks, when you get saved, you're not taken away from God. You're adding to yourself. This morning, do you feel like there's something in your life you need to do? I want us to get a song this morning for Ken.